I'm getting good at this stuff. Okay, next. <laughs> Welcome to 2021, where we have become robots. <laughs> we are now in a dystopia. Ooh, dystopia. <laughs> I love dystopians. They're my favorite. Shall we start? Oh, yeah. I forgot we're recording. Okay. Hi, everyone. This is Arjeet, and we are in the virtual studio. I'm recording from Salt Lake City, Utah. And then we also have here... This is Lean. How is how is everyone? I love how you go hot hello everyone when there's like no one here. Oh my God. Chloe, save us. <laughs> no, Lean. It's fine. I'm going to keep on going. She'll cut out what is not necessary. Right? So today we're going to actually continue our topic of elitism in medicine. If you have not already, please check out part one where we discuss definitions and how elitism in medicine can be a barrier to build a therapeutic relationship with our patients. Today, I actually wanted to talk a little bit more about our narratives and how we have either fit in or did not fit into, you know, this idea of elitism. So with that, I actually want to, we'll share, share my story first, and then we'll have Lean kind of talk about her experiences. So um, just a little bit background about me um, to those that are maybe first time listening to this episode and some of you already know. So I identify as a woman of color. I immigrated from Punjab when I was three years old and grew up in West Valley. And West Valley is a little bit more of a diverse area than Salt Lake City where I did my education. So I remember in high school, I was really excited going to the University of Utah. But the University of Utah is a predominantly white institute. And I remember when I came here, I had this sense of that I'm not good enough, that I don't deserve to be at the University of Utah. And I remember my sister, she would always, um, so I decided to do engineering and she had done engineering too. And she'd be like, her jeep. Now that you're doing engineering, you have to dress a certain way and you have to talk a certain way and you have to, you know, behave a certain way so people take you seriously. And so I think that was the first time I bought into that culture, right? Like I have to pretend to be from a place I'm not from so everyone can take me seriously, right? I need to use big words, fancy words, you know, like I don't know. I don't even know fancy words now, but like fancy words to sound like I'm from somewhere, right? Like I'm educated in background. And I remember that I didn't feel that way. And because of that, I didn't really create strong social networks, right? So I did my work. I behaved a certain way. I dressed a certain way, um, you know, and I got through my four years of engineering. So then I actually got into medical school and I realized that it was even a bigger jump for me. The homogeny of our class was even more than the homogeny of my engineering class. And that was another shocker for me. But it also heightened those feelings of, I don't know if I belong here. And I think that it really damaged my self-worth. Like I was thinking, yeah, I made it to medical school, but Am I just an imposter? Am I just a faker? Like, will these people know? And then will they not appreciate me for who I am, right? I didn't know the value my intelligence had. I only thought it's how it's presented. Like, that's where I placed the value because that's what I saw around me. So I actually particularly remember one incident that really solidified this feeling for me and also helped me shatter this perception. 
I actually had to work on a research poster with uh, one of my peers. And this peer of mine um, came from a very different background than I did. And I remember I worked on the poster and I did biomedical engineering and we had a whole year class of training on how to create posters, how to create articles and how to present our research in an academic setting. So I went ahead and I made my poster um, with all the background and guidance I had from my bioengineering background. I was working on this project with a group of people and I did the first draft and then um, we were all going to edit the draft together. During this creation of my poster session, I was actually really proud of my work because I was like, you know, I took in all this um, knowledge I had from my background and created this poster. And I remember that one of my classmates made uh, significant changes to my initial draft. And in general, that never bothers me because I understand that we all have our own um, skills and our own um, perceptions on how things should be created. But I think what ended up uh, being difficult is when I had a conversation about it. I remember because of, I think, my demeanor, because I do use very basic language and lean, you can attest to that fact. It's harder for me. It was harder for me to be confident in my work in the past. And I remember when this person was giving me feedback, it made me feel small. In a sense, it also made me feel like, shoot, I am not smart enough. Like this person is using way bigger words than me, right? you know, they're giving me feedback that I feel like I'm not good at this. But there was something in me who was I was like, no, Herji, like you've studied this for a year. The suggestions you're giving are actually good and you need to believe in those suggestions. So I did do a little bit of a push and pull. But I think at that point, my confidence wasn't strong enough for me to actually I did more taking than giving. I remember that feeling of feeling like, oh, I'm not smart enough or that feeling that, oh, I'm just this brown girl from West Valley who is just in medical school, but I'm basic, right? Like I will never measure up to anything. And I think that incident was really, really important to me because one, it made me realize how in academia, the value of people really comes from the way you present yourself or the way you speak. But the value should come from what you're speaking about. And after that, I remember that I knew that it doesn't matter if peers understand me. What matters is my patients understand me, right? And a lot of my patients are going to come from backgrounds that maybe don't know the fancy words, but they're smart people. I will often see that people will use so many big words to explain the same thing that you can explain simply, right? Like, what use is our academia? What use is our research if a common person cannot understand a concept? And so that incident was really important for me because I think it reminded me that, no, you actually do know things and you should be confident in the things you know. And it's okay if you don't present them in the way the world wants you to present them. But what matters is that anybody from the person who uses the big fancy words to the person who uses quote unquote simple words understands what I'm saying. That's what matters, right? And I think I think that incident was really important for me to uh, feel in medical school. And oftentimes, Lean, I don't feel like I belong here. Even now, I don't feel like I belong 
in medicine sometimes, but I'm realizing that we do belong here and we do need to occupy the space. Definitely. There's days, I mean, lots of days where I feel like, oh my gosh, I really don't belong here. And I tell myself, okay, maybe I don't belong here, but that's more incentive to say that we need you here because there's something different here. A lot of times my residents, my co-residents, they always laugh at me and they say, oh, like, oh, you and your patient touch. And it's because there's a point where I don't interpret scenarios the way maybe we would as we're like so drenched in the academic field. You know, when a patient's telling me something, I really try to connect with them on their on their level using their words. And I think that's kind of the biggest way that I've mitigated the stereotype of like doctors being higher than us than with patients. I feel like we come in contact with this idea of elitism and perception of trying to act more properly doctor, quote unquote, every day. I think that's something we are just challenged with because one, we don't look like the quote unquote top doctor, right? Like we just don't look like that. So our existence is already challenging this idea of what an elite doctor looks like. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, I'm sure I speak for all of us bundlers when I say we definitely do not support this idea of being the elite, the socialite, the top, the 1% of medicine, right? Because that's not what we're in it for. A lot of times my patients, you know, like I mentioned on the previous episode, where they will say, no, you only want to do this so you can get money. You just want to do this procedure and give me this medication so you can do get money. Or you just don't want to treat me because you just want to get money and you think you're on top. And the way I, I found to mitigate that is when I actually sit down with a patient and I say, and I actually explain to them in detail and I actually give them a learning opportunity to know what's going on and why we can't treat it or why this medication would work. I just don't go at them and I say, take your amlodipine, we're done, right? You know, I'll sit with them. I'll say, listen, your blood pressure is high. This is what this means. This is what it could mean in the future. And this is what this medication does to lower your blood pressure in the moment. And patients are a lot more like, wow, this, this doctor actually cares. And that's the way I've negated this kind of elitism stereotype that we have. But it's ironic because as as residents, I mean, it seems it's funny. It seems every step we take to become that attending doctor, we're always challenged with the fact that there's someone always going to be better, quote unquote, societally statused better than you. Right. And it's like, goddamn, like, when will this stop? When what does it come back and say, hey, what are we doing for the patient themselves? And I think that's right. the biggest thing that frustrated me about medicine in general. And it still frustrates me. And it, I think about it every single day. But there's only so much I can do as a resident. There's only so much I can do as a first year resident. I don't know anything. I'm just a first year resident, you know. But it's the fact that sometimes we forget what are we doing to help better the patient's health? What are we doing right. to better their life situation? Yeah, we're signing up for follow-ups. Yeah, we're signing them up, trying to get them plugged into medicine. But obviously, if there's a problem there, it doesn't take for us to get them plugged in. There's obviously a barrier there. But, you know, anybody would say like, oh, I'm sick, go to the doctor. Well, something was disconnected there and that made him come to the ER, for instance, right? And so I think sometimes I wonder, like, psychiatry, I think, was the biggest field I saw this in. Nobody wants to put money into this field. There's this big stereotype in society and it just builds up and builds up. And it's like we have to negate it piece by piece and with every interaction we have. Lean, I think you put that so eloquently. I'll use fancy words, too. (laughs) Just kidding. But Lean, I think that it's so great that you put that so eloquently because I think that it's a cycle, right? There's always a divide from one group to another group. And one concept that I've been thinking about that, you know, maybe we haven't really mentioned right now is that notion of elitism also inhibits us from forming solidarity. It inhibits us from forming solidarity within residents, interns, interns, and 
attendings, attendings and med students, right? And I think people are scared of that, right? Because when you form solidarity, you form power. And it also separates us as doctors from healthcare workers, from janitorial workers, like everyone who works in the hospital. Because when everyone starts asking questions, that's so much more powerful than just one group asking more questions than the other. Well, and it equalizes the powers as well, right? And that's something we don't, well, we don't want, but I'm saying like the quote unquote elite don't want, right? Yeah, like we're always chasing, we're always chasing more and more power But our focus should be like we're in medicine and our focus really should be about not about the recognition, but it should be about making sure our patients are in their best health. And creating an environment where we can learn more and so that we can develop our sciences and our medicine to further apply it. Yeah. And and I think the way you say that we break that barrier was also beautifully said, Lean, because you said that the way we break that barrier is we talk to our patients and relate to them and let them know that we're here for them. And this treatment is a product of both of us, right? Because I'm no more smarter than my patient. Yes, I might know more about medicine than my patient, but that doesn't mean they're not smart enough to understand. One of the things that irks me the most is when we automatically believe our patients don't have the ability to understand. But the truth is they don't have the ability to not understand. It's we need to change the way we teach our patients. Because Every single patient can understand what's going on with them, right? You can simplify anything, but that is where I think that we need to work towards or how we can reduce that barrier. I would say the best advice I ever got in in med school from my CMC director was if you absolutely are stuck, not even then, like the patient will 95% of the time actually come to you and tell you what's wrong with them. You just have to be able to listen and interpret it into medical terms. Right, exactly. And I think that when we think of how we're going to address elitism in medicine is, you know, really understanding that culture, breaking that culture and forming solidarity with each other and other healthcare workers. And I think that it's always important to remember that we also come from somewhere and, you know, not all of us have felt that belonging because of, you know, systemic racism, sexism, classism, but we need to start owning the space. There was one article that I was reading that I feel like really does a good job about understanding the depth of this um, topic. And I just wanted to read a couple of sentences from it. So it's by Marco uh, Ramos, Tess Lanzarota, Iris Chandler. I'm really sorry if any of those were butchered. But um, article is in Science and Nature. It's COVID-19 is changing what it means to be a doctor. There's a specific paragraph that I feel like is really important. And I wanted to share it. The answer lies in the distinctive history of medical labor under U.S. capitalism. Throughout the 20th century, physicians in the AMA cultivated an understanding of medicine as a quote-unquote elite profession, generally coded as white, affluent, and male. This racist, sexist, and classist image of the good doctor continues to impede physicians' ability to effectively advocate for themselves and their patients today. Medical elitism prevents doctors from identifying as workers who can collectively organize for their rights or as advocates who can stand in solidarity with the movements for social justice. 
the conditions of physicians' labors have changed dramatically over the last century, but the political consciousness of doctors has not. The current crisis is an opportunity for physicians to shed the elitism of their profession's past and form a new vision of American doctors based on the pursuit of justice and provision of healing. That's wonderful. Right? Absolutely. I love these two paragraphs because and one specific area, Lean, that I wanted to point out is effectively advocate for themselves and their patients today. And this is why elitism needs to be shattered, because it also applies to us for advocating for ourselves, not only for our patients, but also ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, I had such a great conversation with you, Lean. Thank you so much for doing this episode with me. You are so welcome. <laughs> I know, right? Um, do you want to close it out? Thank you, Bundlers, for listening to us. We hope that you will continue to follow us on all of our future episodes. You can hear us wherever you get your podcasts or at bundleofhers.com. Thank you again. We absolutely love you guys. You are all the best. Stay safe. Take care. And we'll hopefully see you all again.